Hi, I'm Jim, and I'm going to talk to you today about hope to take risks. Surely when you become a Christian, life is sorted, isn't it? Everything's clear. Uncertainty has been taken out of the equation. I can almost see Christians who've been following Jesus for many years smiling at that idea. Being a Christ follower should be an exciting journey. It's a strange paradox of being secure in Jesus, of having a future which is now certain, but also living on a daily basis in an uncertain life, a life full of change, of controversy, of decisions and of character tests, and as imperfect people being made to be more and more like Jesus. God uses circumstances to change and to transform us. He even uses them to discipline us because he loves us. That ultimate faith in the goodness of God gives us hope to take risks for him. Often we have decisions to make and God will seem silent on the matter. Not everyone gets a bolt from the blue or writing on the wall, yet we do believe in a God who speaks to us prophetically and through the Bible. Today we're going to dip into the book of Esther and have testimony from my friend Kel, who's had a life in, in football. We're going to look at this in three points. God's place for you, God's purpose for you, and God's plans for you. I love the book of Esther. It's the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned once. It's also entirely set outside the promised land. Like Esther, we live in a world that does not reference God. In fact, a world that loves to deny that he exists or could even be effectual in people's ups and downs. The story of Esther is set in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire, which extended from India to Kush, which is modern day Ethiopia. Many years before the story of Esther begins, the Jews experienced civil war, were attacked and were taken off into foreign lands. It could have seemed that God had finally deserted his people, the Jews. But although he was invisible, he was active, ordering the events of history in such a way as to preserve his people. Babylon fell into Persian hands about a hundred years after Jerusalem fell and Xerxes became the Persian king. And this is where our story begins. Maybe you have experienced blows in the past or maybe have fears for the future. Perhaps you're currently experiencing trials that threaten to pull you down or bring you into despair, doubting God's presence in your life. I want to reassure you this morning that God is there and he's active in your life. The book of Esther shows us that he doesn't just stand by watching his people suffer. He gives us the courage and the hope to take risks and follow him despite what we see around us. Let's dig into the book of Esther. God's place for you. Our story follows Esther and Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, bringing up his cousin Esther and acting as her guardian. King Xerxes, cross with his wife Vashti, her refusal to come out at a lavish banquet that he puts on, he calls for her to be banished from his presence and a more beautiful model brought to replace her from his harem of ladies. Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin Hadassah, that is Esther, because she had no father or mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good looking. When her father and mother died, Mordecai had adopted her as his own daughter. When the king's command and edict became public knowledge, and when many young women were gathered at the fortress of Susa under Hegai's supervision, Esther was taken to the palace, into the supervision of Hegai, keeper of the women. 
The young woman, the young woman pleased him and gained his favour so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. He assigned seven hand-picked female servants to Esther from the palace and transferred her and her servants to the harem's best quarters. Esther is brought to the palace. There probably was some reluctance on her part as she probably would have known what becoming part of the king's harem would mean for her. Being a concubine was not the stuff of fairy tales. Regardless of whether she would be chosen to be queen or not, there was probably very little likelihood of her returning home once entering the king's harem. Mordecai urges Esther to keep her nationality a secret, probably because he knew that there would be danger for her as a Jew in the palace environment. It would almost certainly have meant that she would not be able to maintain a kosher lifestyle. So what happens? The king loved Esther more than all the other women. She won more favour and approval from him than did any of the other virgins. He placed the royal crown on her head and made her queen in the place of Vashti. God protects Esther and his favour is on her side as she's noticed as being more beautiful than any of the other girls. In fact, the new Miss Persia. The fa God's favour is a clue that God is at work. His presence is there with Esther. How does this apply to us? Just as Esther had a God-ordained place in the history of his people, so do we. Paul writes in Acts 17, The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. We do not have to strive and look intently for the right things to be doing with our lives or the right place to be. God has ordained where we are to live. I've learnt that God's best is probably where I am at the moment. It's taken me a long time to learn this. You can have long-term vision. My long-term dream is to be a head teacher one day, but the here and now is really important. In Galatians 5.25, it says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We've been doing a series on the Spirit-filled church, and I just want to encourage you again, if you haven't been watching those preaches, to, to catch up on them. The preach by Fran Lloyd about hearing God's voice especially spoke to me, and I think it would be really relevant here. As Christians, we, like Esther, have been shown God's favour. Our eyes have been opened to God. Our hearts have been made alive to Christ and he is with us. Nothing in the book indicates why this favour happens repeatedly to Esther, but everything we are told about her indicates that she, like Mordecai, made God's priorities her own in life. Your place, like Esther, might be difficult yet God's favour is on you. Make him and his ways your priority, whatever you're facing, and he will raise you up. In Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. God cares for you. However, this does not mean that we avoid pain and suffering as Christians. Never listen to anyone who says that life will be a breeze once you meet Jesus. 
Just look through the pages of the New Testament and you will see that life was anything but for God's people. If anything, it was worse. We're in a spiritual battle and have an enemy that hates us and a world that is opposed to God's ways. So there'll be antagonism and hardship for us as God's people. But even in bleak situations such as Esther's, God's priorities will not be shaken. Paul says this in Romans 8, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? God is with you even in the darkest place. He is there. So Esther was put in a place by God. And I want to encourage you today that the place where you are is the place where God wants you at the moment. The second point is God's purpose for you. Back to the Esther story. What happens next? What is the purpose of all this? Enter the villain of the peace. After all this took place, King Xerxes honoured Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. He promoted him in rank and gave him a higher position than all the other officials. The entire royal staff at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman because the king had commanded this to be done for him. But Mordecai would not bow down or pay homage. Haman was an Agagite. They were a clan of the Amalekites, long-standing enemies of the Jews. Haman would have inherited this grudge against God's people and he sees that Mordecai isn't bowing down to him and he gets super annoyed. So he hatches a plot against God's people. Then Haman informed King Xerxes, there is one ethnic group scattered through the peoples in every province of your kingdom keeping themselves separate. Their laws are different from everyone else's and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If the king approves, let an order be drawn up, authorising their destruction. Imagine Esther, incognito at the palace, knowing that this was threatened to her people. Mordecai learns of this plot and urges Esther, now in a position to gain the ear of the king on the matter, to go before him. This is Esther's reply to Mordecai. All the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty, unless the king extends the golden scepter allowing that person to live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. Esther suddenly learns her purpose. Mordecai reminds her of God's sovereignty and faithfulness. He had promised to deliver his people and could be trusted to do that. Mordecai challenges Esther to recognise this. 
in placing her in the unique position that she's now in. She has to take the risk. Faith pleases God. The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Are we living faith-filled lives? We might never be called to do something as pivotal and life-threatening in the life of a nation as Esther was, but God calls us to live in our daily lives, lives of risk and faith. The deliverance of the Jews was not Esther's responsibility. That was God's job. But Esther did have a responsibility to be faithful, obedient and available to be used by God in the situation that he had placed her in. She alone could intercede as a mediator for the Jews, facing an unjust death sentence because she alone was both Persian royalty and a Jew. Since Jesus' death and resurrection, humanity has a far greater mediator. In 1 Timothy, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. Only Jesus can intercede on our behalf to God the Father to save us from a just death sentence that we faced because of our sin. He alone could sacrifice his life to save us because he alone was fully God and fully man. We may never be asked by God to take these risks like Esther did, but we are called to live faith-filled lives in our daily life through our actions, our words, our choices and our lifestyle. The great news is that whoever we are and whatever situation we might be in, we can make a difference. In 1 Peter, it says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbours. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when he judges the world. Our purpose is to live for him. There is a purpose to life. Act 17 goes on to say, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far off from any one of us. All the time we're sowing seeds around us by the way that we live. The challenge to us is, are we living for Jesus? Do others know? Are we keeping our identity as followers of Christ secret like Esther? Or have we blown our cover to let others know about the gospel and the good news? I love the verse in Esther 4.14 where Mordecai says, Who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Well, now was Esther's time. This was her purpose in God. I want to encourage you that where you are now is the time for you. And what you are doing now is God's purpose for you. But how do we take risks as Christians? How do we stand up? in those moments. As I was preparing for this talk, I was reminded of my secondary school motto. The motto was a Latin one, Maiora Tento Presentibus Aquus, um, which doesn't mean my tent is full of water, as I used to think, but it means equal to the present, I strive for more. They've now changed it to something lame like respect, aspire, achieve. But basically it's an old, it was a kind of an old school motto saying, well, you can do anything if you put your mind to it or stiff up a lip. Um, but is that how we're meant to live as Christians? Definitely not. That's what the world says we should be doing in life. But actually, as Christians, we're not meant to be heroes in life. The Bible has an opposite message. 
in Philippians 4.13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. That's a very different message. I'm not great in myself, but I can be filled with power, wisdom, vision and godly purpose by the Holy Spirit. We have a hope when we take risks. We might not know the outcome, the response, the consequence, but we have a mighty God with us. As Christians, we follow a hero who went before us, who walks with us and who strengthens us. The gospel is for all. Jesus took a risk for us at the cross, giving himself as the perfect sacrifice, paying the price for all the wrong things that we had done, that we do and that we will do. Christ did not rescue us because we've done great things ourselves, but because he loved us so much and wants to walk with us as we fulfil the purpose he has for us in our life. We're now going to hear from my friend Kel. When I was planning this preach, God dropped Kel's name into my mind as someone I've seen following Jesus through the ups and downs in pursuing a career in football. Not in the massive highs and lows, but in a way that many of you will be able to relate to. So Kel, just tell us a bit about yourself and how you kind of got into football. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Winchester, um, sort of started playing football from maybe like six, seven, um, and then got picked up when I was nine by Southampton, thankfully. Yeah. So then, yeah, so I started, I've been, I was playing there from about nine till 16 when I then left and went to uh, Bristol City. So I moved to Bristol. Okay. And, and how, then, how did you get, how did that happen? Yeah. So it's quite, quite a long story that to be fair. So from nine, I was sort of, um, just got picked up by a scout and then was sort of um, moved along the age groups just all the way through and then around 15, 16 I just sort of had a convo with the coaches there and they say maybe my pathway wasn't um, as clear as to the first team as it, you know, they were doing quite well in the Premier League at the time so I moved on to Bristol City who were in the Championship at the time and then uh, sort of worked worked my way up through there, sort of got to the, the cuff of the first team maybe a little bit okay. but then sort of had another conversation, obviously football's quite brutal so um, I sort of got told that maybe I wasn't... Um, going to make it there or the manager didn't really like the way I played so then I um, moved on and now I'm at Loughborough University so yeah wow so a you're, long journey yeah so, so your, your kind of journey's been a little bit um, wiggly rather than straight line yeah, so, no, definitely. so how like did you know God in those times like yeah because so, there were ups and downs weren't mm-hmm, there yeah definitely so I grew up a Christian obviously my mum sort of instilled it into me so from a young age I even got like um so when I was nine or I think I was about eight seven or eight I sort of the whole thing was uh, getting to an academy. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of the goal of every young boy, sort of. And it was yeah. Southampton, obviously, because was that your was that your dream? Yeah. So living in um living in Winchester, I did actually get scouted by Bournemouth, but my mum couldn't take me because it's quite far. So she used to say to me that Southampton or you, it can't really happen. So she's like, if you get in Southampton, I'll take you, but Bournemouth's too far. I think Portsmouth is a little bit too far. So. I actually went and that was sort of my first not encounter with God but really like I properly prayed that night as like a maybe seven eight year old like I well prayed that night and then prayed again like religiously for maybe like two three months I remember this quite distinctively and uh sort of uh, I played one game I think I was playing for Kingsworthy at the time or something like that just Sunday league and I got picked up by Southampton thankfully and that was sort of my first encounter with you know God's maybe listening or do you know what I mean sort of intense prayer that I was doing every night do you know what I mean sort of getting into it yeah how have you known God in the like in the ups and downs like have there been you know we've been thinking about this morning um there are times when god seems silent mm. and you're kind of like where are you lord like yeah. how how have, how's god grown you through those times and how have you known him in the silence yeah so maybe sort of like sometimes football can be quite 
it's quite nerve-wracking it's quite pressurized maybe at times and sort of you always like every before every game i pray before every training session i'd pray and then sometimes when you're playing bad you sort of think well do you know where i because it's, it's the highs and lows of it it's just there's no real win between you either as a striker as well so i'm a striker you're either scoring goals and do, everyone loves you or you're like do you know what i mean the run at the letter do you know what yeah. I mean? no one really cares about you so just sort of keeping calm and knowing God during those times, like sort of reading my Bible, reading passages, just sort of getting to know that he is there, he's working. Do you know what I mean? Even when you don't see him working, he's he's doing stuff. And that's I think that really epitomises when I was um at I was at Bristol and I didn't even know what God's plan was for me. And he sort of just positioned everything together for now, maybe what, what I'm doing going or going into now. Yeah. Sort of so it, it all worked out quite perfectly. It's but at amazing. the time obviously you don't you don't see it or you don't notice it, but yeah. he's always working and he's He's got a plan for you, so yeah. So, what do you think, like God's purpose is for you now, going now, going forward? Yeah. So, obviously, now I'm going into maybe like law and sort of um, agency work in, in football. So, still involved with football, but you know, sort of his divine intervention earlier on, sort of getting me into like Bristol. It's, there was no guarantee that they had a uni, uh, college that I could go to, or even me taking an interest in sort of contracts and stuff like that as growing up, or even playing football. Yeah, you know I mean, being involved yeah. in it, you know, he, he it's always his plan. So maybe I thought that it was my plan to be, you know, yeah. a, a pro Rich, in the Premier League. Premier League. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But maybe it was his plan for maybe me to behind the scenes or doing this sort of work and stuff like that. So his sort of intervention all the time, sort of instilling, and now hopefully, you know, I can be a, a lawyer or an agent sort of within the game. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah, and, and I suppose lastly, how do, how do you feel? Um, you represent Jesus in mm. your, or how? What does that look like mm. in your, in like now being a, an agent? Yeah, like, what would that industry, look like? Yeah, so it, it's quite obviously quite cutthroat, quite brutal. Do you know what I mean, there's not like a a lot, a lot of love lost sort of in the industry. But I think now being a Christian, there is a fair few Christians that I know within the game, sort of taking that out. Sort of when things are going wrong, I feel like what I bring to a, maybe a player's career or a client's career is just sort of having that calmness and that certainness. Like you know, if you know Jesus, if you know God that sort of passages, you know what I mean? Just take you through, be still, know that he's still God, you know what I mean? At mm. all times, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether, you know what I mean, it's ugly. So just sort of being still and knowing that's God and I can sort of bring that maybe to not just clients or whatever, whatever it is in, in any aspect within yeah. the football industry, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> mm. and, and I was thinking about Esther, um, obviously she had a moment where she was, um, she was going before the king mm. and it could have gone either way, mm. uh, but she, she trusted God. Yeah. Can you can you tell us about a time? Was there an incident where you remember very clearly, kind of going, Lord, which way is this going to go? Yeah. So when I left Southampton, actually, when I was fifteen, so it's a lot of football because that's yeah, really all. That's that. great. But uh, when I was fifteen, I was um, leaving Southampton. I had the choice between QPR and uh, Bristol, and I was quite torn up. Obviously, QPR was closer to home as well, so I was sort of leaning towards QPR, but. Bristol was maybe a better offer and stuff like that, but I was really I had my heart set on QPR, and then my mum told me, just go go to bed and pray on it, sort of. So I, I went to bed, prayed on it, and then sort of like in the morning, it just sort of came. I don't I don't I couldn't really tell you what yeah. happened, but it was just it was had to be Bristol. Do you know what I mean, I don't know what happened. I was I'm telling you, I was hell bent on QPR. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? that's where I okay. wanted to sign. Yeah. But you know, it just made everything made sense, everything aligned. Obviously, the college stuff like that, everything just it's set into place. It's God's God's plan. So yeah, I ended up signing for Bristol. I think that's God's divine intervention, sort of just him having a plan for me and, and knowing, knowing more than I do, obviously, do you know what I mean? And knowing what, what's better for me than, than I do, yeah. Amazing, mm. amazing. Let's return to the story of Esther. How did God work out his plan in Esther's life? Well, Esther waits three days praying and fasting and waiting on God. Is our first response in a crisis prayer or is it action? I'm guilty here. 
prayer and fasting not only allows God to prepare our hearts, but also gives God the time to work in those around us. When we wait on God, we gain new strength. We gain new perspective. We store up extra energy and we deepen our determination to persevere. On the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom, facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she gained favour with him. The king extended, extended the gold scepter in his hand towards Esther and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Great, she's in. So does Esther go ahead and state her case straight away? No, she's wise and she's patient. She invites the king and Haman to a banquet. In the interim time, God is working in the situation. Haman gets more and more cross with Mordecai and actually creates a scaffold to hang him on. The king has a dream and wakes up in the night unable to sleep and reads through the story of his nation's history and finds out that actually Mordecai has blessed him by foiling a plot against him. It's only then, after these events at the second banquet, that Esther then brings her request to the king. The king and Haman were dining with Esther and drinking wine during the second dinner. When the king again said, Esther, what can I do for you? Just ask and I will give you as much as half of my kingdom. Esther answered, Your Majesty, if you really care for me and are willing to help, you can save me and my people. That's what I really want, because a reward has been promised to anyone who kills my people. Your Majesty, if we were merely going to be sold as slaves, I would not have bothered you. Who would dare to do such a thing? The king asked. Esther replied, That evil Haman is the one out to get us. Okay, spoiler alert, God fulfills his plans through Esther's obedience. I'll leave you to read the rest of the book of Esther and find out what happens. But God fulfills his plans through us too. In Jeremiah, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We can have hope that his plans are for our good. All we have to do is walk in them each day. God's plans won't just allow us to survive, but to prosper. Those plans might not have been our plans. God's way is better. Kel had plans of what he wanted to do in his life and put that into action. Since the age of nine, he had been training intentionally. Along the way, there were twists and turns, disappointments and failures, but he testifies to God's goodness and faithfulness along the way. Do you make lists and plans? There's no problem with that unless not achieving that list causes frustration. God may even be highlighting this as an issue. We need to submit our plans to him, holding them lightly and letting him breathe on them. Proverbs 16.9 says, A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Our plan for each day should be subject to change, depending on what God has in store for us that day. When we, who belong to Christ, make decisions and plans while excluding God from the process, we act in pride and set ourselves up for a fall. On the other hand, when we submit our plans to him, he protects us and directs us for his good. This reminds me of the story of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. He has confidence that God is with him, but he is happy to trust God on the outcome. 
Daniel says this, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So to finish, we've thought about God's place for us, we've thought about God's purpose for us, and God's plan for us. Just got some questions that I'd like us to reflect on as we come to finish our time together. My first question is for those of you who might not be Christians yet. Have you staked everything on Jesus? Do you know the mediator, Christ Jesus, who pleads our case between sinful man and perfect God? Maybe today might be the day when you want to accept Christ into your life and allow him to be the Lord of your life. If you are trusting in Christ, are you trusting him in every area of your life? Have you asked him into everything? Your finances, your community, your family, your work? Or are there areas of your life that you say, no, Lord, this area I want to be in control of. I've got plans for this part of my life. You can't have a hand on this. No, you can't say that Jesus is your Lord and keep areas of your life for yourself. A wise old Christian once said to me, he's either Lord of all or not at all. It reminds me of the, the part in the Bible where Jesus' disciples say, Lord, where can we go but with you? Almost like they have no, we have nothing else but you, Jesus. Have you thrown in your lot with Christ in every area of your life? Like Kel testified, God is a faithful God, even when his hand is unseen. So when in your life, looking back, can you now see the hand of God at work on events in your life? And lastly, in which areas of your life is the Holy Spirit asking you to take risks? It might be standing up for injustice. It might be in conversations at work. He wants you to be more bold or to speak up. Is he calling you to step out into something new or something different, something scary? Or is he asking you to have the courage and the trust in him to stay put, to stand firm? Sometimes it takes as much faith to stay where you are as starting something new. So let's pray together and ask our Heavenly Father to continue to lead us as his children, promising never to leave or forsake us and allow us to walk with him as we take risks. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We are so thankful that you promise never to leave us or forsake us. We thank you that you know every hair on our heads, every anxious thought, every word we're going to say before they're on our tongues. You know how frail we are. Lord, you know how often we are uncertain or doubt. We thank you that you say that faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains and you love faith. We say today that we trust you. We thank you that we don't walk this life alone, but have your Holy Spirit to guide, fill and strengthen us. Help us to hold on to you as we take risks and make faith-filled decisions, knowing that you are working for our good. May we at Hope Church be a vibrant, loving, faith-filled community which demonstrates the love and power of Christ in our lives corporately and individually. Jesus, we love you. Amen.